We've learned that saying no is just as important as saying yes. So hello everyone, this is 16th episode of My EO Education podcast and my guest today is Claudia. Hi. How are you doing today? Good, good thanks. How are you? Okay. You have quite a successful business in terms of online education that works in all over the world, but it is based here in Cape Town. Yes. Um, it, well, actually, mainly Joburg. Our head office is in Joburg and then we've got a micro office here. In Cape Town. We've got a few offices. We've got uh, in Dubai, London, and Miami as well. Okay, so tell me, Claudia, about your business and how it started. Okay, sure. Um, well, let me first start with how it started, and then I'll go into like what the business does, um, because it's non-traditional in the sense that uh, we didn't like just start it from an idea. It was more organic in how everything happened. Um, so I was not a great academic performer in primary school. Um, and I, I mean, I actually hated school. I had a lot of anxiety about it. And like on a Sunday night, I could never sleep knowing that school was on a Monday. And, um, and I think it's actually because I knew that I wasn't a good academic performer and the system didn't work well for me. Um, anyway, if you cut and see like the trajectory, I graduated top of my class in high school, um, graduated cum laude for my degree, went on to study data science. And when I got into the corporate world, a lot of people were like, oh, you, you know, you must be really smart, like maths and statistics must come easily to you. Um, and that's not the case. The point of inflection for me was that I had a father who's an academic, he's a doctor, and um, it was always about how can I get you to do well, not can you do well, you know, so it was always that level of confidence. It was never, he, he never questioned if I could do well. He it just, just was, he'd come home and work out ways to make things more relevant to me so that I could understand it better. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because at the end of the day, when you start doing well, you get confident and with confidence, you have your own self-regulation and ambition. And so then I started to do well and I didn't need him anymore because, you know, I, I wanted to now not just pass, I wanted to do well. And then when I was doing well, I wanted to be the best. And, um, and that's how it happened. And when I got into the corporate world, um, something was always bugging me in the sense that because so many people thought that I was just naturally smart and I knew that that wasn't my trajectory. I thought how many other children are stuck in that same situation, but they haven't had that personal intervention to say, okay, let me look at you as an individual. How can I make this something that is relatable, something that you can understand? Um, and so it really started as a pure passion project where my brother and I created a website with adaptive content. And at that stage, when we started, adaptive learning was um, really novel. Like nobody was doing AI. Now, like a lot of people, you know, are doing it. But at that stage, like to have content that was served to you based on your level of mastery was really unique. Um, and, and it, and I was still working in corporate. My brother was uh, still qualifying, writing his board exams. And we never thought that we'd 
actually start this as a business. It was more about something that we felt very passionately about and thought, well, how can we help other people that need that level of personal intervention? Even at that stage, like there weren't a lot of resources, you know, for kids. So if you wanted to practice, I mean, one thing that we firmly believe in is that if you want to do well in your exams, you need practice. You know, you can sit and read the chapters as often as you want, but without pen to paper and actual practice of real life situations you don't truly critically think about what you're learning and then you don't learn it hmm. so it started as a kind of a social project yes exactly so it, and then what happened was we started distributing through corporate companies and it was pure value add to employees children so we were like here's some a program so an employee benefit exactly we were like, here's a program, use it. And when we monitored the success of it, firstly, we had very high engagement for a value added product. Normally value added products have like 3% activation. We had like 23% activation. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's quite high across uh, employees. And then when we monitored the effect from an academic perspective, we saw like an average of an 8% increase in students' marks. Amazing. So, so you, you say adaptive learning. Can you elaborate a little more? how it works yes, so sure. that our listeners can understand. Sure. So obviously when we started, we didn't have a lot of data and uh, past data for the system to look at. So what the system did is it gave you an assessment. Um, uh, basically, say you were trying to learn math, it would give you a math assessment across all the different types of topics. It would test you, you know, one grade below, one grade above. It would even test you in languages because there's a lot of interdependencies. I mean, especially in countries where English is not first language you know so a lot of the countries that we're in English is not the first language and often you'll find people don't do well because they don't actually understand the question or they just simply don't even understand the question word because there's a difference in question words in terms of how deep they are asking you to go into an answer you know is it like a theoretical question or is it something that's a lot deeper um, and basically what would happen is the system would then analyze you and, and see which topics needed the most attention mm -hmm. and then it would start serving you practice material um, but it would be prioritized based on where your focus areas are so you would get more practice material say just as an example you needed to focus on quadratic equations so it would give you more quadratic equation questions but it would link it to help like from a content perspective. So if you were stuck, you could click on the help. It would help you answer the question and it would build you up from a beginner level to a level of mastery. And it would do that across all the different topics. So it's completely mastery based and not coverage based. So if you were good at a, another topic, it wouldn't even give you content or questions on that topic because they know that you understand okay. it. So it, it, it is truly adapting to what I know, what I don't know. So it's not wasting my time to then if I master already this subject. Exactly. But it would focus if I have some difficulties with exactly. particular topics. But you said also it mixed with content. So if I have problems with quadratic equations and I'm interested in I know cars, would it give me some ex more examples with cars? Yes, exactly. So that's I mean, the system didn't start out that way. It became more and more advanced over time as we created more content. So they're diff all different types of interest levels. So we try and understand what your interest is just on that level, but also what kind of learner are you? You know, do you work better with um, auditory, visual, more kind of aesthetic type of learning? And it would serve content to you based on that as well. Um, and so that was really how the business started because we had a really successful 
employee benefit scheme in one of the businesses and the CEO at the time came to us and said, how do we invest in this? And he was he was kind of shocked that we weren't doing this full time, that this wasn't a full time business. And so at that stage, he was like, I want to invest, but you guys have to take this on full time. And and that's when we took the jump. And um, and did they, he invest actually? Yes, did he, he did. But okay. it, it took us like about 10 months because we weren't sure even if we wanted an investor or if we wanted to take this on full time. Um, but then after about uh, 10 months of talking, we eventually said, okay, let's, let's do this. You say we, because you are partners with your brother. Yes. Right? So they're two, yes, two we, original founders and now the investor comes after 10 months. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and also it worked really well because, um, even though we have very similar backgrounds, my brother and I, he's like really strong tech wise. So he like built our platforms, our AI. He went on to study artificial intelligence. So he, he really understands the product at a very granular level. Um, and I was like focused more on the business growth side of things. So, you know, that was more my natural skill set, if you want to say. Um, and so it's great because we actually complemented each other, you know, because often sometimes you have founders and they're doing the same. Oh, yes. But, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. But then one of us in conflict with another, if there are some exactly. hard points. Yeah. So it was quite easy mm -hmm. for us to decide like what he'd mm -hmm. be focused on, what I'd be focused on in the business. Um, and then really how the business evolved from there was through the demand of what our clients were saying to us. So a lot of them were coming to us saying, we love your product, but we'd love to be able to chat to your teachers or get some high touch features, not just high tech. So, well, that's exactly what we did. We evolved the platform to involve both high touch and high tech. Um, and then what happened beyond that was that we had people coming to us and saying, we love your product. We actually homeschoolers. Can we school with you full time? And we never knew that this was really a market at that stage. We were like, is this even something? And the more we researched, I mean, yes, it's not mainstream, but if you had to look in terms of absolute numbers around the world, like in each country, it's a significant size and it's growing now post COVID. Yeah. Tell me in which countries you're operated. What's your market share of your business? Sure. So, um, our main areas in terms of density are the Middle East and Africa. Um, but we're seeing a lot of growth at the moment in the UK and some parts of Europe, like Spain and Portugal. Um, and then we've got specific products in the US, like in terms of AP support. So we've got some users there. But, uh, you know, because we started out in, in Africa, and I think uh, Middle East and Africa kind of are seen as one market because they do a lot of business together. Um, so those are those are the markets that we focus on. And yes, we offer the majority of our products in all of them, but some of them have very specific focuses. So like they'll just be focused on online. Are they are they adjusted to particular curriculums? Because most of the school products try to adjust to particular school system and even some some of the ways of presenting like the maths in in the United States would have arrows, all the sides and in Europe is totally different. How do you cope with yes. that? So um, there's a few things. When we started, we focused on South African local curricula and there's two different curricula. There's the public and the private curricula. Oh, they're different. Yeah. Okay. So the, there's public and private curricula in South Africa and they are different in a way in the sense that um, the private curricula will maybe go into more depth into some of the topics, but the topics are very much the same. And then the exam is, is more difficult because it tests you at a more critical mm. thinking level. But saying that, um, 
if you want to compete like on an international level, looking at GCSEs, A-levels, international baccalaureate, that is truly different because they test you on totally different topics. You know, they, they introduce uh, different types of topics from a very young age. So to answer your question about how we address that in, in other countries is the countries that we've expanded into the private schooling market traditionally goes for British or international baccalaureate. So we're not trying to cater for the public schools in those areas, although here in South Africa we do because that's where we started. But with our international expansion, we focused on these international curricula. Um, and you'll, like for instance, in uh, places like the UAE, all the private schools are doing either the British or the international baccalaureate mm -hmm. or the American diploma. Okay, so... You started this as a passion and the business model was selling as an employee benefit. Is it still right now? This it's not the main model. Um, we still do that. Um, we've, so we've got um, some strategic relationships, like even in terms of white labeling, we deal with Vodafone and we've white labeled a product for them for, called Vodacom eSchool. And they basically um, you know, have their own product to market and to public schools. But that, again, is not our main business so if there's a strategic relationship we'll do it but we don't go to the market and say here's a white labeled solution um our main go-to-market strategy is b2c so we go directly to consumer they sign up with us directly mm -hmm. um we've got over three million users around the world using our product at the moment so it's SaaS based right yes yeah um but but it's SaaS and uh because are you saying SaaS as in service or, or software? Software as a service, yeah. Yes. So but you also have content. So, yeah, because okay, so we say like service, uh, uh -huh. uh, you know, software as a service, but we also do like service on top of the, the software. So it's not pure tech. Um, so, the, so it's not as scalable as, as a pure SaaS product. Um, but uh, at, the, at the end of the day, that's what the market wants. They don't want just tech in education. I started thinking because I also co-created some of this type of product mainly for learning languages, like an alternative to Duolingo. And before the AI was able to create content for us on the scale it can now, it took tremendous amount of work to create this content. Like millions of hours of teachers work actually to create this. So yeah. how big is your stuff working on the content itself? Yeah, so it's a good question. Um, we never wanted to get into content creation. In fact, no our, one whole, wants, yeah. Yeah, our whole model was different. When we started the business, we were looking for open source software. We were looking to license content, you know, and just create like the AR on top of the, that. But um, it didn't work out that way because we couldn't find content that was good enough in terms of what it looked like visually and the quality of it and also how it was broken down. Like you want granular content that can target specific topics um, and like little sub dependencies within the topic. So just as an example, you're learning long division, subtraction is a dependency and you need to be able to work on that. And then you need to have examples from like a beginner to an advanced level, you know, um, and there just was not enough. It's, there still isn't today, ironically, because when we look at expansion into content, we always first see what's out there before we go and create content. Um, and still today, after a decade of being in the business, there is just no content that can touch the content that we've created. So to answer your question, it's a large team. We've got uh, full-time staff members that always are focused on content creation because there's always maintenance and updating of the content. But we will also 
Who would be these people? Teachers? Exactly. So we've got instructional designers that, you know, kind of look at it from a visual perspective. It, it, it's all integrated because we've got interactive testing as well. So our tech team work very closely with our pedagogy okay. team. And they, they will create these like interactive, we do VR as well for like uh, certain types of prep work, you know, for like biology and stuff where you can dissect uh, things like a, a human body or, or an animal if you're doing that as part of your biology syllabus, you know, and uh, it's very intricate. So you need to have the teacher knowledge and the tech knowledge to be able to do that. Um, and then, so we have like project people. So if we have a new syllabus and we're just creating it as a once-off and we don't have any capacity internally, we'll look at a third-party provider that would pay for the development of that. But then we'll make sure that we've got the right type of skill set in-house to continue to keep it going or ha add more subjects. I'm really curious because you said you provide not only content and software, but also a service. One of the issues with children that they are not internally so motivated, let's be honest. Yes. There are computer games, there yes. are social media, and then there is education. And you need someone to push them, to give them a slight push to actually do the educational part, even if it's made fun part. Yes. So do you offer that or do you leave it in the hands of, of parents or, or some teachers? Kids are complicated uh, human beings. You You need like basically a village to motivate a child. Um, and why I say that is, you know, we do offer it as a service and I'm going to explain what we do now, but you can motivate your child a lot, but if they're not getting the right motivation at home, it doesn't work, you know, so you, you need to be able to have a collaborative effort. So there's things that we do. Um, we have hybrid schooling model so with all our distribution centers our physical centers we've got 5,000 globally um 5,000 centers 5,000 centers and um basically these centers will use our blueprint in terms of what they should be doing on their day-to-day -day and, and how they should be motivating kids and how they use our data and, and our student tracking uh, analytics that we've given them to say like this is what you need to do to motivate the kid, like they're not engaged on this, they, they're falling behind on that, and they use that as their tool to basically individualize what they do with that child on a day-to-day -day basis. So everything is completely personalized for a child. So you, you can't just say, this is how to motivate a child and then do it for everyone, you know? It's gotta be specific. Um, so we, we have that in our distribution centers. We have gamified things on our website to keep them interested in terms of, uh, you know, earning points and badges and then eventually what they can use those points to get. Like, you know, you can actually get stuff with your points. Mm -hmm. um, physical stuff? Yeah, physical okay. stuff. Um, and uh, at then at the same time, we've got our amazing customer service team. So what they do is um, we've got these automated flags in our system that will show you how each child is performing and then it will flag you if something changes. So say somebody's really engaged in content or attending lessons, all of a sudden they're not, it will flag you. But there's different permutations because if somebody's not engaged in lessons but they're doing really well academically, we're not gonna flag them. So there's a few. And how do you know that they do well academically? The centers inform you? I wonder how much this is extra outside of school and how much it is integrated into the, their academic performance. Yes. If you're online schooling with us, we know what all your academic performance is because you're doing all your tests and assessments through us. 
Um, so you can actually do kind of homeschooling or just purely go to schools with you. Yes. Kind of. Exactly. And that's why we have our hybrid centers, because a lot of those students, they want to use our program, but they want social interaction and the parents want a place to be able to drop their kids. And so the centers will, will do all of that <clears throat> from a physical standpoint. And, um, you know, the, the success team will, will let the centers know, or if they're directly schooling with us and they're not at a center, they'll contact the parents and the students to say, we see this is happening. This is what we suggest. So it's, it's very high touch from that perspective to keep them motivated. How did COVID change your business? Um, so it's, it's been really great for, for us for a number of reasons. Um, online schooling and homeschooling was very niche. It still is, but it's grown significantly post COVID. Because people noticed that they don't need school <laughs> to yeah, have a good education. Exactly. That's the thing. Um, you know, so there, there's two sides of it. Obviously, nobody. there's a difference between crisis schooling and true online schooling. Like we were crisis schooling in COVID and nobody wants to do that. Where you're locked up in your house and you can't do anything. That's what the negative experience was. It had nothing to do with the education. It had to do with the fact that you were locked up and you weren't allowed to go out and have any like sense of freedom. You know, um, it... it created problems for a lot of people psychologically um, but that was not the education that was you know purely because of what COVID was doing to people from an education standpoint though there were a lot of parents that saw the benefit their kids firstly all of a sudden they started questioning my child is going from school till from like eight until three every day but I'm getting through the syllabus in like two hours a day. Like, yeah. what are what they? The, what the are rest they, of the time. Yeah, what are they doing? Mm -hmm. I can tell you, a lot of it is wasted time because uh, it takes like 10 minutes to settle the kids before the teacher even starts a class. Then the teacher has to pitch their lesson at a level that caters for where all the kids are at, you know, whereas tech enables complete personalization. Our teachers pitch it at the level of the student for that individual. Like, there's no sense of like group uh you know target from a, a a lesson delivery perspective um so i think parents were starting to say well actually they could do this in far less time and they get far better academic results on a personalized basis because when you're getting like 30 minutes of personal time with somebody versus like you know a few hours of group time in a traditional school they get far better results on the personal level so that's that's the first thing. The second thing is they realize that life can be a lot more flexible. Families are like, well, this is amazing. We can travel. We don't have to be locked down because of school holidays. Um, kids can start doing things that they enjoy. So talk about introducing kids to things that um, ex really expose them to what they want to do for their careers in terms of entrepreneurship, robotics, coding, sporting, uh, you know, the social emotional skills that are really important very difficult to interweave that into like traditional schooling systems that like you they try like add that on but if it's not ingrained in what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis it makes it difficult so parents are starting to see that there are far better ways to educate their kids um that their kids are far less anxious they don't have to worry about uh, you know a lot of anxiety provoking situations a lot of kids are embarrassed when they go to a class of 30 students and they don't understand what the teacher's saying they're not going to ask a question it's, they don't want to be judged by their peers whereas in you know this type of environment where it's very personalized like there's no judgment they can be who they want 
it's just their their support coach really that they're asking questions to so COVID has been amazing um, because firstly, a lot of people found us when they needed a solution during lockdown. Um, and post that, a lot of parents have decided to stick with a more personalized education solution. And tell me about any other pivoting points, any crucial points for your business. You said the beginning was quite a change for your, for your life and for the business, then COVID. Any other crucial decisions that people listening to us as entrepreneurs, most of them educational entrepreneurs could use as your experience you could share that that really truly transformed your business? Um, so one thing that uh, we do is it, it's now part of our culture in our business and actually part of our values as well. Um, is we tried to be everything to everyone when we started because it started out as a passion project. We weren't really commercially minded about it. We just wanted to make an impact. We still want to make an impact, but now that we focus purely on this business, it needs to be commercially feasible. Um, and, you know, we've learned that saying no is just as important as saying yes. Um, so basically we look at like our pillars and our and our goals of what we want to achieve and we structure all decisions that we make according to that so um and and why i'm saying that is it, so it it was actually an experience that got us to realize this it's not like we just decided oh this is how we were going to run our business so sometimes your best Uh, lessons in life are your failures and not necessarily your successes and what we realized in the beginning is that we were spreading ourselves very thin because we were now catering to these uh, corporates and uh, when we were having these value-added services they also started asking us for corporate training and we were like oh well let's take this opportunity you know and they were like please we want corporate training on this 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 and we went and did it and we created all these courses for the actual employees of the business on a lot of the different legal acts like the uh, protection of personal information, the poppy, we call it the poppy act here in South Africa. There's the Companies Act. So they wanted to train their employees on this. And we went and we spent an inordinate amount of time and money. And never now, in retrospect, you're like, oh, you should have uh, looked at the model before you went and developed all of this. But at the time, we just thought, great opportunity. Some of the biggest corporates in South Africa are asking us for this. They, It's scalable. They've got thousands of employees. I mean, you just need like five or 10 clients and it should be like successful, you know? But what we didn't look at was the opportunity cost of our other products. So, and that's why I'm saying, yes, maybe that decision on its own could be successful. But if you look at it in comparison to the opportunity cost, it was a bad decision. Um, and I feel that it, it slowed us down in the market. Just as an example, when we started with adaptive learning, we were far more progressive and ahead of the game than Khan Academy. But Khan started just with maths. And he went deep into what he was doing. And I think that that was like a big difference with the success of Khan versus what we were doing. We were kind of like, let's just do everything. And so now because of that experience and because we felt that it actually took our business back a few years when we started, we now will not start any new initiative unless it directly aligns with the pillars. Yeah, you mentioned Khan Academy, which is a well-known program. And one of the advantages of it is for free because they have like I think hundred million dollars that were sponsored by different people and yes. corporations. And I wonder uh, how do you rely with them because they offer this for free 
probably with less support or non-support, uh, are there your kind of competition or the, the, the advantages you have totally yeah, I think separate. I, I think that um, it's complementary in a number of ways. I mean, we even looked at using Khan Academy's content at some mm -hmm. point, but it just it just didn't have what we needed at that at that stage. Um, their service is great, but the the difference is, you know, when you have a paid for service, and I, I personally like paid for services because I feel like people are incentivized to give you the best of the best. You know, I I, I often feel that. Uh, when you get into a market and there's a free service, the intention is right, but they they might not run it according to best of breed. So there's a few things. One is when you look at our content versus Khan's content, it's far more rigorous in terms of what you get per topic. Um, you know, you don't just get like a, a bit of content for that topic and then you move on. It's, it's far more immersive. There's far more kind of, adaptivity to begin it to an advanced level and then it's also the high touch services on top of that so they've got some high touch services traditionally more at a group level so if and the thing is that unless you're a commercial entity you can't really offer that one-on-one -on -one support you know and that's what we do we offer at a scalable approach one-on-one -on -one support with kids around the world so a lot of the kids that are homeschooling with us they'll go into Khan for like you know if they want to see some extra content or whatever it's like if you're at a traditional school you know, you, you're going to use additional resources. It's not competitive, it's complementary, and that's the way we see it. You you spend most of your life in South Africa, you said Johannesburg and in Cape Town. You were educated as well in South Africa yourself? Yes, yeah, so I did, my studies were done in South Africa, but it was an international degree based in Scotland. Okay. So, um, I wrote my boards through like uh, the the Scottish boards and um, and see the, and that's the thing is that the education even though I was educated in South Africa we always went the private school route so the, uh, and that's what fails us in the system in South Africa is that they're really like in this country you try and avoid public school systems if you can there are a few unbelievable public schools. But that's because they've got amazing teachers and it's the people that make it unbelievable. Um, the public schooling system fails us. And because of it, if you can afford it, you put your kids in a private school in South Africa. Um, so, and that's why I'm saying to you, because you want every parent wants their kids to compete on an international level. And it becomes very difficult when you're going through the public system here. Mm -hmm. So is it the main flaw? Because I wanted to ask you about how the a system here could be made better. So would it be, I don't know, making everyone going to private schools? How can, how can we fix that possibly? Yeah, <laughs> so I think there's there's two different ways to answer that because there's obviously looking at um, education as a whole and how to improve that. And I think that that's not a South African problem. I think it's a global problem um, in terms of, you know, we are still educating our kids in the same way that they were educated ages ago and it needs to change. I mean, we, we, everybody says it, it's on the tip of everybody's tongue, but if you actually look at the progressiveness, it's very slow moving. Um, and 
you know, I'll give you an example. We do a lot of assessment for kids that start schooling through us just to understand where they are at from a neurocognitive and neurodiversity perspective so that we can really personalize um, how they learn with us. And you won't believe how many kids have been told to go on to some form of medication for like ADD and ADHD. Now, we have literally taken about 70% of those kids at school with us off medication because we are firstly catering to the way that their minds work. Um, and also it has a lot to do with diet as well. Like I, I know, and I, I know that sounds, um, you know, a bit offbeat, but you don't realize that with our lifestyle and how refined carbs and sugars start to affect you chemically. Oh, I'm sure that sugars make yeah, kids quite excited. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Having my own kids, <laughs> I know yes. that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, a lot of the time, kids will go and they the culture today is not to necessarily always have like a homeschooled, uh, you know, lunch at, and then they go to the tuck shop and then the first thing they buy is, you know, like a chocolate or whatever the case may be. And um, it has become like a... So, I mean, that's just one uh, issue that we address. But th the truth is... The, the definition of ADD and ADHD is a child that cannot concentrate at all. Yeah. If a child is passionate about something and is able to sit for a few mm -hmm. hours, but they just can't do that at school, that doesn't mean that they're ADD. It just means that what is happening at school is not interesting. Not interesting for them. Exactly. So, and, and we have to be able to, I mean, you, you look at life today for adults, everything is personalized. Uh, the way that you work today can be remote and then you can come into school, uh, work later uh, or earlier or whatever the case may be. People go to gym in the middle of a work day these days. It, like life has changed, right? But it hasn't changed for kids. And yet they're the ones growing up in a far more digitally native world. They're used to everything happening quickly, on demand. You can't expect them to have patience to sit in a lecture listening to a, a teacher for 45 minutes and multiple times a day, you know? So... The, the reason why I'm mentioning all of this is because I think that that is like a global problem in education that needs to be solved is like, how do we provide personalized education at scale? You know, how do we introduce kids to, I mean, one thing that blows my mind is you look at the software engineering industry, right? Some of your top coders in the world that fetch the largest salaries are not formally schooled, like they're self-taught coders, you know? I, and so. And to me, I feel like the world is going that way. Like you don't have to go through these processes of coverage-based education anymore where because you're seven years old, this is the syllabus. And when you finish being seven, then you turn eight and this is what you need. Like it doesn't, you know, there's information that you need to expose yourself to and you need to learn it as fast or as slow as your mind can grasp it. And then introduce them to things that uh, can also make things practical so that they can use the skill for, you know, I mean, they're kids that are starting businesses at young ages now. And we need to cater for that. We need to support that. Um, so, so that is on the global side. From a South African perspective, um, you know, the country majority uh, is sitting in poverty. So this is like very specific in the sense that you look at what the public schools have to offer. They don't have devices, they don't have connectivity. So even though there's great education solutions, like say for instance, our solution, we're in some public schools, um, but we act like your middle tier public schools that have connectivity. Those are not the kids that need the desperate help. It's the kids that are, um, they have no access, their, their textbooks are not being delivered because they're sitting out in a rural area, they have, barely have electricity. So um, 
that's why private schooling has become a solution because even there are low-cost private schooling solutions in the country and what they do is they say okay if you come to our school there is connectivity there are devices so the but the problem is that it's again it's not on mass so it will solve the solution but ultimately what needs to be solved is at like a government level how do kids get access um independent of their socioeconomic background. They should all have access to the same quality of education. Okay, Claudia, I, asked, I wanted to ask you uh, one more question. Your, your business has been tremendously successful. Uh, you hit over $15 million revenue. You hire 170 people. And uh, you're also a mother. How do you combine all of this? I'm sure that we have a couple of female entrepreneurs, especially in the sector of education. What advice would you have to them to be more courageous and bold to to <laughs> achieve the success you achieve? I, I always say to like everybody, they're like, how do you balance everything? And I'm like, oh, this is just a smile slapped over a nervous breakdown. <laughs> like, <laughs> but but actually, um, on a serious note, I, I always say it's okay to like not be okay. And so I, I very openly talk about these things because I feel like um, there's a lot of pressure these days to pretend that everything is perfect so like you speak to moms and they like always are telling you oh my kids eat perfectly they sleep perfectly they're doing these sports i'm introducing my child to robotics at the age of two you know <laughs> and 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 really like not everything has to be perfect you know um kids first firstly one thing i must tell you is from a mother one thing that changed my perception is that we believe as as adults today that we are engineers for our children right is that everything that we do to them has a direct impact on the outcome of how they turn out and that is so not true these kids are born with individual traits generations of genes and different personalities they are born unique individuals sure the way we nurture them can affect how they turn out but we can't it's this pressure of like having to be so integrably involved and exposing them to everything at a young age like i don't expose my kids to everything i actually feel like it's too much it's too pressurizing um so i think that's what is one thing is that it makes me relax in the sense that i don't feel like my kids have to do every single thing at a young age i feel that in time people bloom when they are ready and you just need to just keep you know watering the environment and let them decide let them guide you um you know and so i kind of see myself more as like a, a shepherd rather than an engineer for for how they turn out um uh there are days where i get it right and i feel like i'm winning and there are days where i feel like i'm completely guilty because i either prioritized work and had no time for kids or I prioritized kids and feel like my business is now going to slow down because I was not as involved today as I should have been. The truth is it doesn't affect the business as much as you think. Um, and, um, and also, you know, having the right help, obviously, but, uh, I, I actually, that was one of my struggles is I never had like the right kind of infrastructure because I don't have like a lot of uh, family based around us. Like my family's all around the world. So it's amazing when we're all together, but you know, it's, a, I don't have that kind of granny who uh, sits and, and looks after the kids in the afternoon. Um, so, but I think at the end of the day, just work as hard as you can and do the best that you can. 
And it's always, it's, it's the incremental steps I find. It's consistency. You know, it doesn't matter if you feel like today was a fail. As long as you tried and as long you'll look back and you'll see the growth, both as a parent, as a business owner, and personally, just as long as you're doing your best every day. Like, that's all. I don't look at the mountain that I have to climb. I just look at the few steps that I need to achieve today. Okay. Amazing, amazing advice. Thank you. My guest today was Claudia Schwartberg. Thank you very much for your advice and experience sharing. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>